0: All right, we'll grab your Bibles now, and let's go to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at really just an absolutely amazing passage of Scripture. Before we get there, I want to make sure that we sort of get our feet settled because we can make, like we said last week, this is one of those passages of Scripture that if we're not careful, we can take it in wild directions that Jesus never intended to. And the way we want to make sure we don't do that is by asking the question, what is the Sermon on the Mount? How do you read? How should we read the Sermon on the Mount? Because some people will read it as sort of a, a, you know, Tony Robbins motivational seminar that, you know, you can do it and add a boy and, you know, all you need to do is sort of self-actualize and then we can, we can, you know, Sermon the Mount can be ours and that would be awesome if we all would just live this way. And so it's this motivational idea. Other people look at it as kind of this, I don't know, 1960s hippie um, uh, John Lennon-esque imagine what the world could be like if we just all lived in unity and we just obey the Sermon on the Mount because if we did that the world would be a better place and we can do this if we just try harder. And still others would look and say, it's really just a bunch of good moral precepts. That is, these are humanly attainable ideals. These are things that if we want to, we just need to try a little bit harder. And, and again, world would be a better place if we'd all just sort of attain to these good moral ideas. So you, you, you've got these kind of different ideas. But the problem with that is the Sermon on the Mount with any of these ideas and i think that anybody that lands on in any of those three and maybe any uh, others that you might think of simply has not read and if they've read They've not considered what they've read when they're reading the Sermon on the Mount because you can't possibly come to those conclusions after reading the Sermon on the Mount. There's no way you can say that. I mean, a motivational speaker would never say what we find Jesus saying in chapter 5 and verse 29. I mean, look what he says. If your right eye caused you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better for you to lose your one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. I just can't imagine Tony Robbins ever saying that. You would never hear these sort of utopian idealists, this imagine, uh, say the things in in chapter 5, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And I can imagine that a moralist, somebody who says we can achieve the standards that God is putting before us here, would say anything like chapter 5, verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You cannot come to those conclusions. So how are we supposed to read the Sermon on the Mount? I think we're supposed to read it with an incredible amount of humility, and if we don't start with humility, if we're reading it right, we will end humble. It will be one of those things that absolutely rocks us because this is Jesus looking at us and saying, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. Do you look like this? Let's press this against you. Let's let's sort of put you side by side with this because this is true Christianity. Anything less, anything else is a counterfeit. This is the measure of your Christianity. Does it look like this for you? And so, man, we start walking our way through. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Would you just hunger for that? It starts to show us over and over again, right? So if you're reading it right, if you're reading the Sermon on the, on the Mount the way Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, then you are not, it's not going to elevate your pride. You're not going to walk away with this massive self-esteem doing that. Instead, you're going to walk away and go, oh my goodness, like I, 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 there is no way I'm going to be dropped to my knees. I'm going to come face to face with my own inadequacy and I'm going to approach God as a beggar and say, God, help me. I mean, how in the world can I do what you're saying to do? Okay, now, You have to see this before we look at chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, because like I say, you can take that in so many different directions, but this is the context into which Jesus speaks, verses 7 through 11. So if I were to give you a big idea of chapter 7, verse 7 through 11, here's what it would be. This is how someone prays who really knows what the sermon is about. So how do they pray? Look what he says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is how you'll pray. This is what will happen when you truly know what this sermon is about. And, and these are, this is an absolutely staggering passage to me. The more I read and the more I thought about this this week, the more unbelievable. We just, you just heard Ike say that we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ rooted in the gospel. That's why we exist. Well, how do we grow? What does that look like? Jesus is going to tell us today. Jesus is showing us that growth, that Christian growth, that growth in Christ, that growth in grace is actually possible. And in fact, it's promised. This is amazing to me. So here he is, the divine son of God, with all the authority vested in him by God himself. He is God, very God, and he gives you an absolutely unconditional promise. Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, it'll be opened. The one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, open. There's no, no qualification in there. So we got to make sure that we read it in context. Because remember, the first rule of interpretation is context, 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 right? We want to make sure that we're not yanking this out. Because what do people do with this? They take verses 7 to 8, and they say, you know what? This is name it and claim it. I just, whatever I want... God will give it to me. As long as I badger heaven enough, as long as I keep going back, whatever. I mean, I could, there's a girl across the room that I want. If I ask long enough, she'll be mine. There's a car that I want. There's a job that I want. There's these kind of things. Whatever I want, I can have if I just ask long enough. No, not possible. That's not in line with the sermon at all. That's not at all where Jesus is going in the sermon. See, see the sermon is saying to you, this... This Christianity, this thing that I'm preaching to you is not possible. It's not humanly possible. You cannot attain this. This is a kind of Christianity. This is a, there is a kind of righteousness. Your righteousness, Jesus says, better exceed that of the most religious people you can imagine. Like, it's got to go deeper and farther than their religious righteousness. It is not a righteousness of your own that comes from law-keeping. There's something else going on here. You know, I, I, we're talking about something, a faith, a spirituality that is radically pure, radically loving, loving radically generous. Now, this is terrifying. This is Jesus saying, this is t- here's what I'm holding up to you as a standard. Are you there? See, see, so, like Paul, we come to a place where we say, who's sufficient for such things? How in the world can I measure up? So, Jesus takes us over and over. I mean, he started off with this that, that that one phrase, that one beatitude, bless are the poor in spirit. And everything from there on out is meant to make you poor in spirit. Why? So you despair? No. No, to make you feel inadequate, to make you feel like, you know what, I don't know that I can do this. And when you feel that, when that impulse is there to say, this is impossible, this is a foreign righteousness, I know nothing of this, I can't live up to this, then you're ready to hear verses 7 through 11. Because Jesus is saying, pray for the impossible. Pray for what you cannot do on your own. God's not giving you a blank check, and this is what verses 7 through 11 are. He's saying, if you feel inadequate, pray like this. This is how you pray. Let's say it this way the character of the kingdom into your life. You ever see this? Did you ever notice this? Like, my life is out of alignment with the kingdom? This is how you pray. So, how should we pray? Because this is what Jesus is talking about. Ask, ask who? Ask God. Ask, seek, right? Seek God. Seek, knock, knock, and ask God for all of these things, right? And then he's comparing God to a father. So he's telling us how to pray. And then he's telling us the, the, the heart of God toward us when we pray is his children. And that's what this whole passage is about. So, so let's look at this. how should we pray. And the first thing he's going to say is you should pray with persistence. Ask and it will be given. Look at verses 7 and 8. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open. The one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be the, the, the idea. Some, some people have said, well, those are sort of escalating in intensity. And I, I believe that. And You can ask and then you seek and then you knock. But I think the whole point is that you are persistent. You never give up. There is a tenacity. There's this, I am, I am absolutely never going to give up on these things. In fact, the verb tense there is, is hard for us to see in English but it's one that we could legitimately translate as keep on, never stop asking, keep going, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, doing all these things and never stop going after those things. So we're persistent, but we're persistent about what? Persistent about prayer. Prayer. Persistent about prayer generally, but specifically, we are persistent to pray about, if you will, the virtues of the kingdom, the virtues of Christ, the virtues of the sermon. So I look at the sermon, I look at Scripture, I stare at the Word of God, and I realize I'm out of alignment, and I pray and say, God, give these to me. And I pray, and I keep praying, and I keep going, and I keep asking. I mean, uh, I think everybody is persistent in prayer up to a point, right? There are things that are easy to be persistent about. It's easy to be persistent in prayer when you lose a job. It's easy to be persistent in prayer when a child is sick. It's easy to be persistent in prayer when you really 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 want that promotion. Whatever it is, right? There's there's places where it's easy. And those are those are not bad things to pray for. That's fine. You should pray for your child's health. You should pray that God would help you in your in your in your business or 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 in your employment. All those kind of things. That's good. But, but, but Jesus is saying, are you persistent to pray for mercy? Are you persistent to pray for kindness? Are you persistent to pray for patience? Are you? I mean, look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Are you persistent to pray for that stuff? I mean, just... Over the years, is there this? over the months, there's this pattern of, I just keep returning to these things. I see these things in my life. I want the character of the kingdom to be mine. Can I just be honest with you? I was talking to my kids about this the other night, and I said, I said, guys, you know what? I, I, uh, we're driving around, and I said, you know what, you know what bothers me? I was, I was thinking about this passage, is that I don't know what it is, but it seems like a lot of people I know, including myself, have been walking with Christ for years, and I don't feel like I'm getting more patient. I feel like I'm getting less. I feel like I'm getting more grumpy. Like, what's my problem? Like, I, I want to be the grandpa that, 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 your grand, that your kids someday grow up and they finally realize who grandpa is. And when you tell them stories about me, they're like, really? Because he's so gentle now. Like, he's so patient now. That's just not, you know, and they're like, well, let me just tell you, he wasn't that way. And I said, guys, if that happens to me, there's only one explanation. The character of the kingdom has been given to me. And I pray that I have the tenacity to keep praying for that stuff. Say, God, grant me this. I mean, see, the Bible comes to you and it holds up this mirror to you and says, hey, here's what you really look like. And I know you think you look awesome, and then you see the mirror and there's dirt on your face and boogers hanging out and your hair's out of place. Like, that's you. And the standard, Chris, is perfection. And you, you, you've got to live up to that kind of perfection. And so the Bible's saying, you keep coming, you keep going, you keep asking, you persevere to, to do this. And here's a wonderful, look at 1 John 5. This is such an amazing promise. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked for him. The, whole, the key to that passage is according to his will. Here's what Jesus is saying to you in verses. Seven through 11. It is according to the will of God that your life, Christian, conform to the character of the kingdom. So you know that He hears you, and you know that He will answer you, and he, you know that He will give you what you ask. And yet I look at myself in light of the Sermon on the Mount and I I see that I'm so far short. And what does that make me do? That shouldn't just make me fall into despair and depression and self-destruction. It ought to make me cry out for mercy and say, God, only you can do this for me. I mean, how many of us have felt helpless against things that we see in our lives that are out of alignment? I could take you back to episode after episode after episode in my life where I felt like I am out of alignment. I mean, I can take you all the way back to grade school. I remember in grade school, I was probably in fifth grade, feeling, I I had... Uh, Jesus had saved me. There's no doubt about it. I was I had this sensitivity to the Lord, and I wanted to please God, and yet I'd get onto the school ground, you know, whatever, and I'd start, I just had the foulest mouth. I mean, it was awful, right? I'm cussing. I thought my friends would be all impressed with me or whatever, right? And 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 nobody ever rebuked me, but the Spirit of God was rebuking me, and I remember just praying about this. God, help me. I, I know this is not pleasing you, and I remember praying. It felt like, I mean, I was fifth grade. I, I, I don't know what it was, but I I prayed, it felt like, for months or a couple of years. God, I don't like this about myself. And I know you're not pleased, and slowly. But surely, God kind of purified my speech. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm totally pure today. I'm just saying that's that's something that has lost its grip on me. I can remember as a teenager, like like anybody remember the days? I don't know if you do, but you'd walk into a barber shop, and they would literally on the coffee table have porn, like just Porn, was like just sitting there, like candy. And for a little boy, that is candy. And I picked it up, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, holy cow. Like, And your heart's gripped by it. I remember thinking, this is amazing. And then I had, you know, a cousin and others who were, like, showing porn. I, and, I, and I and your heart starts to get gripped like by that. And I'm like, suddenly, you know, the Spirit of God, again, is like, this is out of alignment. This is not right. This is something this has got to lose its grip on me god please help me help me i don't want this i don't want to be thinking like this i don't want my mind to go that way every time i see a woman and slowly but surely god began to loosen that grip on me like that sin began to 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 lose its and i can i can stand up in front of you and i don't say this to brag i don't say this like i say this to hopefully give you hope if that's your struggle that that over the years i can say Honestly, I have not looked at anything pornographic now for for decades. Like, like, that's the grace and mercy of God. I can look back and see things in my own life just a few years ago. When I came to Foothill Church, my heart was gripped by certain things. I mean, just gripped. We were a church, you heard I'll say, of 140 people. And I'm like, this is not gonna stay here. And so I became, I became like numbers were a God to me. There was an idolatry of this where I would, I mean, I had a spreadsheet that, you know, if some of you ever wanna see it sometime, it's ridiculous how many things I was tracking and trying to figure out and why aren't we growing and what's happening and we should be growing faster. I'd be, I mean, my, my, my whole, my whole like um, self-esteem had to do with when I stood up, how many faces were looking back at me. And I'm not, I'm telling you, this is honest. And I tell you this in shame. And I prayed, oh God, this is an idol of my heart and, and it will never be pleased. And this is not the character of the kingdom. And I do not want this in my life. And slowly but surely, I can tell you. <laughs> I haven't looked in that spreadsheet literally in a, a few years. Like, I, I don't sit there and go, hey, how many? What, what do we do? Like, I, I, it's losing its grip on me. This is what God does. I mean, just so, so Chris, so of so you've been delivered from all your sins and you don't have any failures, of course not. Ask my wife. Ask my children. Like, They'll tell you, dad's got all kinds of, of problems. Dad's the most impatient person we know. Dad, I mean, all kinds of things. We go to, a, to Disneyland, we go to Costco, I will invariably choose the wrong line, right? I, if I choose it, it will be the longest. It just will, right? They can all be in a line that's five feet longer than mine and mine will take 30 minutes and they'll be done in two. It's just how it works for me, right? God's just working on me like crazy to get me to be patient. But here's what Jesus is saying, Chris. You, all of us, if you're a believer, keep praying. Keep coming to me. I want to do this for you. I want to give you this. Just keep on asking. But here's the question that sort of might vex you. Why do we have to be persistent about things that God says he wants to answer? Here's what he says. Like, Like, Chris, patience is a good thing. That's according to my will. And God knows how long I've asked for this. Why doesn't he just give it to me? Well, um, maybe because he knows that I will not live dependently upon him if he overthrows that by his grace. And maybe, could it be that God is actually preparing my heart, our hearts, to receive the very good gifts that he wants to give us? Like, you know what God did? The, the, counselors will tell you it's no good counseling somebody until they sort of hit the place where they say, like, please help. Maybe God wants me to be sick enough of what my impatience does and the hurts that it causes and the things that, so you'll, I'll, I'll reach up and say, okay, like, I am ready, and I'm so done with this. they will finally grant me what I'm asking. I'm preparing your heart, Chris. I'm preparing you to receive the good things that I have for you. See, what are you most persistent about in prayer? Because we're all persistent. Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it your kids? Is it your health? Those are good things, but Jesus says the most important thing you can pray for I say this without qualification, the most important thing you can pray for, the thing that I think every heart yearns for is not more money and not a better job and not a relationship with some other person that you idealize. The most important thing that we all long for that should be, we should long for is to be conformed to the character of Christ. Wow, how many problems would go away if I just was more like Jesus from the inside out. How many things would be different in my life because of that? Persistent prayer. But the second thing he says is that you should pray with confidence. Look at, that, that, that that's really what he, I, I'm not going to read it all over again, but this he, 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 asking it will be given. Seeking it, you, you will find, knocking, you will open for, for everyone who asks actually receives. The one who seeks actually finds. The one who knocks, it actually be open. That's the whole point. I I want you to feel this confidence that when you come to the Father, He's going to give you good things. So so if you will pray, if we will persist in praying for spiritual growth, God says, I'll give it to you. I, I promise you this. This is Jesus. I Unqualified promise. Ask, this will be done for you. Seek, you'll find it. I will do this thing for you that you find so hard. Amazing. But lastly, you should trust in God's goodness. So now look at verses 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for, a, for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? In other words, God, I, I want you to provide for me. Father, I, I want you to give me these good things. And he says, he's not going to give you bad things. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So so here's what he's saying. You should trust in God's goodness. When you pray, trust that there is a good God. Now, there's a couple of things that I think Jesus wants you to see. And the first is simply this. God is always, always, always good. Do you understand this? There is never a moment when God is doing bad to you. If you're a Christian, God has never done one thing. If you receive it from God, if it comes through God's hands, it is always good for you, whether or not you see it that way or not. He's always only good. Now, what this means is that Jesus is not promising you everything you want. He's not saying, I'm going to give you all of your you know, desires and anything you can think of. If you'll just badger me long enough, I'll give you what you want. That, that's, again, that's not in line with the sermon. But l- listen, that ought to be really good news to you. Now, here's what I mean. Who could bear the weight? Seriously. Who, that would be a curse for Jesus to say, I will give you anything you can ask for. That 's the Midas touch right we all talk about the Midas touch is a good thing remember remember the story of the Midas touch the Midas touch is that seems wonderful if everything I turn I touch turns to gold until I touch my wife well now she 's gold right we 're done until I touch these loved ones and so now i can 't touch it there 's this There's this paralysis now that I can't do anything because if God is going to answer everything, my goodness, is that a good thing that I'm doing? Is he going to give me? Is that going to be good for me? See, Jesus is saying he's only going to give you what is good. He's only going to be good to it. I'm so grateful, and you will, You are too. If you're a Christian for any length of time, you are grateful. I promise you that, God, there are certain things in your life that God never gave you. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that for you. I am so glad that there are certain things that I sought after that I never found. I'm so glad there certain doors I knocked on that were never opened by God's grace. I would not be at Foothill Church today if God gave me what I wanted. Now, let me say this. I could not be more happy, right? This is not like, oh, God gave me second best. No, God said, Chris, I'm giving you first best. I'm going to turn your eyes. I would have been on another coast. I would have been, I'm convinced I'd be miserable. I wouldn't be married to Michelle today if God had originally given me what I, I didn't know Michelle existed. I had my eye on another girl. Ask, seek, knock. Oh, God, there she is, you know, obviously for me, whatever. And God said, no. I see Michelle. I fall in love. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? I'm not, I'm not withholding anything good for you. See, one of my professors, Howard Hendricks, used to say, um, you know, gentlemen, w- when was the last time that you thanked God for unanswered prayer? There it is, right? Now, now my, my daughter, Berkeley, corrected me the day. She's like, Dad, all prayers are answered. Some are just no. Well, thank you. Thank you, little theologian. And she's right. She's right. So, so when's the last time you thank God for no? Have you ever thought about that? How many mistakes he kept? Th- thank you, Jesus, that you didn't. I mean, thank you that you didn't give me the Red Rider BB gun because you knew I'd shoot my eye out. <laughs> but you knew. You knew. This is why a, a father thinks, N- I, I know better than you. You know better than your two-year-old or your five-year-old, right, that says, Dad, I, wanna, I want a new handgun. Well, that's not going to happen. I, I, that may seem good to you. That's going to harm you. I don't want that for you. Right, I, I, I'm gonna withhold from you when you're three years old a cell phone because that's gonna jack you up severely and I don't want that to happen to you, right? I mean, so this is what we do. And he's saying, look, we, we don't know what is good. God is the determiner of what is good. He knows good from evil. We think we know. And all the way, if we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 through 3, that's the whole story, is that God puts Adam and Eve in the garden and says, hey, the whole garden, it's all yours. I'm not limiting your freedom. I want you to go crazy in this garden. Have a ball. See this one tree right here, the knowledge of good and evil? Don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of the tree of, let's say it this way, autonomy. Don't eat of the tree of self-rule. Don't eat of the tree that says, I know what's best for me. God doesn't know what's best. So the serpent slinks into the garden and says, God did not say you'd die. Do you see what God's trying to do to you? He's trying to withhold good from you. You know what's good for you. He doesn't know what's good for you. And so he's withholding. He actually doesn't want you to be happy. Go ahead, take it. And they do. And every problem in the universe." every financial collapse, every emotional problem, every relationship difficulty, every political crisis we're facing is because that original couple decided we want to rule ourselves and all of their children from there on said, so do we. And God doesn't know what's good, I do. God is always good. Always and only good. But the second thing is, is he says, obviously, is God your father. Right, I mean, if you 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 fathers, and I love this because some people say, "Yeah, but that's not a very good picture for me." Like my dad wasn't a good man. Well, he says, "If you who are evil, right?" God, Jesus, in some sense, sort of recognizes that. Okay, Chris, you're evil. If your kids look up and see a brokenness in you, well, good because you're evil. God is the only good God, and hopefully that'll that'll you know sort of keep them from being attached to you ultimately and attached to me, that I, I think I know how to give good gifts, but God is the ultimate Father and He knows how to give great gifts. And God knows what is best. And he's a father to me, and as a father, he's going to make sure I'm taken care of now when he says when he talks about Father, we've said this before, but this is not he's the father of all humanity that's not that's not what Jesus is talking about. there are conditions to becoming a child who can look at God and say, you're my father it's not just because I'm a part of the human race or because I'm a created being that i'm a I'm a child of God no, that isn't how Jesus is using this he's saying there is that personalized, specialized attention, if you will, from a heavenly father that will give to his children. And so what are the conditions of becoming a, a child of God? You have to be born again. You have to be born again. Look at what, look at what John says. And, and John he, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. So now look at this. There's two camps here. There's those who do not believe, and he left them, and there's others who say they do believe, and if you do believe, then you get a right to be the children of God. Children share the nature of the Father, and in fact, when it comes to God, we must share his nature. He's holy, he's pure, we're not, which means I must die And I must be made new, and I must be born again so that I can share in this new nature, which is exactly how the Bible talks about becoming a Christian. It isn't start behaving better. It isn't start, you know, you you got to take the the Sermon on the Mount as a bunch of moral precepts and live up to this. It's saying you have to share in the nature of God. Well, I can't do that. you got to be born again. How in the world can a man re-enter his mother's womb and be born again, Nicodemus says. And he says... You being a, a teacher in Israel don't know. We're not talking about that. We're saying you you, you have to be born from above. There has to be a, a radical change. This is where Paul's going to say we have to be buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in un- newness of life. We have to be united with him in a death like his so that we can be raised with him, live with him in a resurrection like his. This is what we call the union with Christ. See, because by nature, the Bible says, I am a child of wrath because I've sinned. I've fallen short. He comes along and says, I demand perfection. Be holy even as your father. Be perfect even as your father is perfect. So I'm not perfect. So guess what that, the Bible says happens because I'm not perfect. I deserve wrath. That's all I deserve is the wrath of God. Jesus comes along and he goes to the cross and he pays for my sin and he takes care of my guilt. So now all that's left, John 1, is for me to believe in him, to sit there, do nothing but believe. Not try to attain it, not try to achieve it. Believe in what Jesus Christ has done. And then the old self, my old man dies, my new man lives, and then he goes to work on me. This isn't like an angry thing. It's like, I love you. I love you so much, man. I want to I conform you to the image of my son. I want to begin to do things in you. Now God's my father. Now I have his love. Now I have his protection. Now I have his care. And now I can be confident he's going to give me good gifts. But what, what good gifts does he give? You know, when, when Luke tells and, and recounts the same sermon in the book of Luke, he says that when Jesus says he'll give good gifts, he says he'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. There is no greater gift in the world than the receiving of the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything. And Jesus says, You just ask. He'll give the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you ask for salvation, He will give you salvation. If you ask for forgiveness, He will give you forgiveness. If you ask for holiness, He'll give you holiness. If you ask for the character of Christ, He will give you the character of Christ. He will give you anything that leads you, brings you nearer to God. That's amazing. What a promise. Anything that brings me nearer to God, Jesus says, it's yours for the asking. Ask. Do you know that? Have you asked? Have you asked for salvation? Have you asked for patience? Have you asked for the, ki- the character of the kingdom to be in your life? Have you asked, God help me with my lying? Have you asked and keep on asking that he deliver you from angry outbursts? Have you asked to help you with your impatience? Have you asked that you become more kind and gentle? Have you asked that you would have more self-control? Have you asked and have you keep on asking? Do you just keep going after it? Keep going after it. I will not give up until the character of the kingdom has been has become mine. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Okay. Let me give you some just real practical homework, okay? Number one, look at this. Do an inventory of Christian virtues. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. This is what I mean by that. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Look at it and go, you know what? I mean, start with the Beatitudes. I'm not poor in spirit. I don't hunger and thirst after righteousness. Whatever those things are, and list them. Put them down on a, on a, a three-by-five card, however you best do that. Maybe it's on a journal. Maybe it's somewhere on your mirror. And you're just setting those things before your eyes all the time. And the second thing you do is you pray for them. And then you keep on praying for them. And you pray, and you don't just pray for a day or a week. You keep going after those things. And God, I pray that this character of the kingdom would be mine. And As God reveals those things to you, you keep praying. You keep asking. You keep knocking. You keep pursuing those things over and over. And then finally, you just have confidence that a good and gracious Heavenly Father will give what you ask. You have great confidence because that's what Jesus said. Ask and you will receive. Seek. I promise you'll find. Knock and the door to all of these virtues, the door to being united with Christ, because this is all that's saying. Jesus is not saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to make you, Chris, more awesome. I'm going to let you raise yourself up by the bootstraps. He says, no, what's going to happen is that I'm going to align you. I'm going to unite you deeper and deeper into Christ. The Spirit of God is going to move into areas of your life that have sort of been off limits up to now, and he's going to start to permeate. So that, you know what, by God's grace, as we grow in His grace, as we grow in righteousness, we will see a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, hopefully there's people that surround us that go, you know what I've noticed about you? You're more patient than I remember. And here's what you do when you hear that. You don't say, well, yeah, I was an impetuous young man. No, it's not that you've grown up and you're more mature. The Spirit of God has done something in you. God's changed your life. He is changing your life. That's the promise of Scripture. Staggering. Amazing.